All right, ready for the word today? Amen, amen, amen. God is good, God is good. Um, Turn your Bibles or turn them on. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. When you find that, say, I got it. All right, great, fantastic. Ephesians 2, 1 through 7, from the English Standard Version, you find these words. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. Oh, how he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I want to talk from this thought today, the walking dead. The Walking Dead. Now, there's a relatively new movement in popular culture today. uh, uh, And it has to do with a fascination with something known in the horror movie circles as a zombie. If you heard of a zombie, just throw your hand up real fast. A zombie. Okay, so zombie. The dictionary defines a zombie as... The body of a dead person given the semblance of life, but mute and will-less, meaning not having a will, by a supernatural force, usually for some evil purpose. Now, now that's what the dictionary defines a zombie as. I grew up a long time ago in, in... an era where we had about five channels on TV. And one of them was Channel 9, WGN. And late at night, Channel 9, WGN, there was a show called Creature Features. Oh, come on, my Creature Features folks in here. Yeah, Creature Features. And we used to beg to stay up. We can't go to bed until we've watched Creature Features. And in Creature Features, every now and then, there was a movie about zombies. And these would be the walking dead. They would, they would be people that are supposed to be in the grave, but they are walking around on the earth. Right. Somebody see where I'm going right here. Yeah. 
and they and the creature features would show these movies and we would watch them and and go in, in my room at night and and the movie's over and I'm like, could you leave the light on, mom? Just you know, I, I might have to get up at night. Uh, really, I didn't want to be in the darkness because you got this fear of the Walking Dead, the fear of the zombie, and over the years. Subsequently, movies like Night of the Living Dead have made their way into popular horror movie lore. There's even been a popular television show based on this idea of zombies walking the earth, and it's called very simply The Walking Dead. Now, maybe some of you watch this show. I'm not sure why. We seem to have this fascination with that which is dead or supposed to be dead. Anything that's dead ought to be buried. Do I have a witness there? Huh? It ought to be in the ground. But let's explore for just a moment this fascination that we seem to have with the walking dead or death. Death has always seemed to fascinate human beings. From the earliest parts of time, we have studied what happens to people when they die. We've asked questions. Is there something else that happens to the living spirit when the body no longer contains movement? We have, medical science has tried to define what happens in death. What is the actual moment when we can consider somebody dead? We are uncomfortable with the notion of death. Even as I say this today, I can look at some of you and like, okay, get to the next point. I don't want to I don't want to talk about death. Who wants to think about being dead? Who wants to think about death as a concept? We enjoy life. Usually when we define death as human beings, it's the moment when that body ceases to function, when the heart stops beating, when there's no brain activity, when, when, when that time when, when we can no longer measure vital signs or those vital signs are not... Uh, um, doing anything at all. There's no blood pressure, there's heartbeat, no, no, uh, no breath in and out of the lungs. We define that as death. Now, death often leaves us longing for answers. As I said, like, is there anything after death? You know, as, as a young person, people don't nearly, norm, normally think about that. And I can tell you right now, when I was in my teens and in my 20s, I wasn't thinking about death at all. I had no, no concept, wasn't thinking about, I'm young, I'm vital, but Stone, I can get up and run, I can do what I want to do. I'm staying up late at night, getting a little bit of sleep, still having a lot of energy, not anymore. <laughs> Look at somebody and say, time will catch up with you. That's right. Time has a way, doesn't it? Time has a way of slowing us down. We can't do the things that we used to do. Now I watch people run. (laughs) 
I saw a funny cartoon the other day on the newspaper, and uh, and it said, um, uh, "Here's the five, uh, the the zero mile race for those who want immediate reward." <laughs> And everybody's lined up at the, at the, at the start line, and then they, the gun goes off, and you just walk right over there and get your T-shirt. <laughs> That's for people who want immediate reward with no work, okay? <laughs> and so, and so here, here, you know, we wonder about death. What's next? Now, perhaps the reason why we created the idea of the zombie besides the obvious financial advantage in Hollywood, is that we have a hard time letting go. We don't let go very well. The zombie represents an opportunity for that which is dead to at least take on some of the attributes of the living. Zombies walk around, even though they don't do it under their own power. They still move around. They have some attributes of what it is to be alive. But no one would see a zombie if they existed and say, this person is alive. And so this, this, this idea, though, that a zombie, the walking dead, has some semblance of what real life is. What we may not have realized is that each of us, each and every one of us, is born into this world in a zombie-like state. We are walking dead at birth. I know that's a surprise to some of you because I've seen your Facebook pictures on Throwback Thursday and you think you were just the cutest little thing. Who could ever think that this cute little baby is somebody that's born naturally into this walking dead, this sinful state. We just can't even conceive. How could something so precious be born into this sinful state? And so we all have zombie-like characteristics. We're controlled by a force that works its evil in our hearts and is given to us by virtue of simply being born. Paul puts it like this. He says, by one man, Adam, death passed to all men. By one man's sin, all have inherited this sin nature. And even in your most beautiful baby picture, you were a sinner. Even as you brought that bundle of joy home from the hospital, showed that child off to all of your friends and loved ones and said, look at what we did. (laughs) We have produced this wonderful child. And yet that child is still born a sinner. That child still has attributes of a force deep, dark inside its little itty bitty heart that will drive it to sin and will drive it to doing things that are just amazing even at an early age. When I first had children, I was amazed 
at how quickly children learn to sin. How quickly does the sin nature manifest itself? You walk into a room with your precious two-year-old and, and the lamp is broken into a million pieces and you ask that precious child, who broke that? And they look at you with the nicest, most beautiful little eyes and say, I don't know. <laughs> and for a minute, a second, as a parent, you think, there's no way, my precious little baby, maybe they don't know. And then God taps you on the shoulder and said, don't buy that. <laughs> don't believe the hype. They were the only one in the room. You heard it fall. You came in here. It's one person. You think they don't? They know who did it. You don't have to teach a child how to lie. You do have to teach them to tell the truth. Somebody ought to give God some praise right there. children, I know you don't think it, but they lie to you by nature. And some of us forget that we told some of the same lies. <laughs> I mean, I can't tell you how many times I got caught by a train. <laughs> and this was fortuitous because I grew up in East Chicago and there's a lot of trains. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, how many times is this going to work? And I soon realized not many. And so we, we, we forget that we have done this ourselves. And so you don't, children, you don't have to teach them. But the real truth is that we're all sinners. That sin has corrupted, that corrupted nature that is present in all of us, handed down from Adam, actually decimates the human psyche. So much so that the Apostle Paul goes on this kind of rant in Romans chapter 7. And I imagine if Paul had a radio show today, they would ask him, Paul, tell us about the human condition. He said, I don't know about the human condition, but I can tell you what mine. Here's what Paul is saying. He says in verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but... I am of the flesh, sold under sin. There's a person in touch with their inner side. I'm just their inner self. Isn't that right? I am of the flesh. I am sold under sin. I know who I am. I am a sinner by nature. And Paul says, he says, here's how I know that I'm a sinner. Watch this now. For I do not understand my own actions. <laughs> Think about it. How many times have you asked yourself the question, what was I thinking? How could I have thought that it was a good idea in a dark nightclub to give a dude my phone number who I couldn't even see him in the light? <laughs> At least get outside and see what he looked like. I'm just saying. What was I thinking? How did I imagine how many times you've said that to yourself? I don't understand my own actions. There are times even when you took time to think up what you thought was a good plan. Just throw your hand up real fast if that's you. I don't, 
I don't want anybody to see that. They, they have high opinions of you, and I don't want that to be ruined. Uh, you, you thought you had a really good plan. Here's what I'm going to do. I thought about this, and it blows up in your face. And you're like, what? How did I miss that part? And that's what Paul is saying. I don't understand my own actions. Verse 15, he says, for I do not do what I want. Even when I think about the thing that I should be doing or that I want to do. Here's what he says. I do the very thing I hate. That's a that's a psychological condition. They have therapists that are trying to figure out what's wrong with people. All they can do is read Romans 7. I'm just saying. I can save you a lot of money here if you listen. I'm just saying. You're going to get counseling, and here it is right here. I don't do what I want. I do the very thing that I hate. Verse 16, now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. But verse 17 says, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin. That dwells within me. You know, this isn't Ray Ray on the corner that wrote this. <laughs> this is the Apostle Paul. The same one who was knocked from his beast, who wrote many letters in the, that became scripture. He's saying, he's saying that sin dwells within in me. Now I know you think that you have a makeup to break up relationship with sin. I know you think that. You think that sin only dwells with you when you get out of line. But that's not what he's saying. Sin has set up residence in my heart. It owns a home. Sometimes in the morning, sin will be up cutting its grass in my heart. <laughs> That's when you know you're at home, right? <laughs> sin is living in me, Paul says. For I know in verse 18 that nothing good dwells in me. Nothing? In and of myself? There's nothing good in me. Now, some of you are saying, you know, wait a minute now, Pastor, wait. I've got one or two things that I know are good. Really, I'm a nice person. You know, that time you saw me going off, that wasn't me. That was an aberration. Not really how I really am. And so, and so he says, nothing good dwells in that is in my flesh. For I have, he says it again, the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. On my own, left to my own devices, I do not have what it takes to do the right thing. You can tell me a hundred times, just do the right thing. You can paint a Nike swoosh on my chest. Just do the right thing. You can tell me, watch Spike Lee's movie. Do the right thing. And the bottom line is, I don't have the ability to do the right thing all by myself. 
I don't have the ability to carry it out. Verse 19, for I do not, the, I do, not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want. And I love how he puts it here. It's what I keep on doing. You would think one or two times, Brenda, that I would get this thing and now leave it alone. But that's not what happens. He says, I keep on doing the wrong thing. The evil that I hate. The stuff that really gets me in trouble. When I get to yours, just say something. That stuff that ruins my life. That stuff that messed me up in school. That all of that. The stuff that gets me in trouble on my job. I keep on doing it. They say get here at 8 o'clock. I get here at 8.05. They can't tell me when to be at work. They better be glad I showed up. And don't say nothing to me till I have my coffee. I'm just saying. I know that's nobody in here. I'm just. <laughs> so, I keep on doing. He said, verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Verse 23. But I see in my members another law. Waging war against the law of my mind. I told you this was a psychological problem. This is affecting the way you think. There's this war going on in your mind. When you know what is right, but you do what is wrong. That's a psychological issue. Look at somebody and say, we might all be crazy. I think that's what pastor's saying is all of us, all of us are a little off. (laughs) And he says, this law is making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. My hands are captive to this law of sin. My feet are captive to this law of sin. My eyes, my ears, my tongue, all captive to this law of sin. So even when I want to praise God, I end up not praising him. Because the tongue is an unruly evil. Even when I want to say good morning to you in a nice way, I just say, hmm. That's psychological. (laughs) It's affecting you. And so here's Paul at the end of his psychological wits. In verse 24. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This flesh that wraps around my spirit, even when I want to do right, this flesh, this sin wants to have its way with me. And I said all that to say, now you can understand here in our text, Why we're considered the walking dead in sin. Paul is not alone. We all came into this world in this condition. This is not a comfortable state of existence. In our text, in Ephesians 2, 1 through 7, we read of the Apostle Paul again describing this dark state of being 
This sin nature and its effect on the human mind and heart. He describes it as having walked dead in sin. (laughs) Walking dead in sin. He says very clearly, he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You weren't stationary, you were moving around. Dead in sin. The worst kind of death is to be dead and not know it. That's where the zombie thing comes in. Look here, Mr. Zombie. I know you think you ought to be walking around, but you're dead. And the zombie's like, what? You're dead. And so that which is dead and not know that it's dead is an even worse condition. And if you are here today, and if you don't get anything else, I'm just going to throw this out there for free. If you're here today and Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior, welcome to knowing that you are walking dead. Three things that come from this text. Three learnings that we get. The first thing is that we needed Christ to rescue us. Just like in Romans 7, Paul says, Who will deliver me from this body of death? What a wretch that I am, a wretched man. Who's going to get me out of this? I'm telling you right now, Jesus will get you out. You need Christ to rescue you. I needed Christ to rescue me. I could not do it of my own volition. I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough. I'm not wise enough. I don't have enough in me to even know that I'm a sinner. The Holy Spirit had to tap me on the shoulder when they said all sinners come to God. The Holy Spirit said they're talking about you. I wasn't wise enough. That's why I'm a little nervous about saying I got saved. More accurately... He saved me. And so he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. We needed Christ. Our situation demanded Look at the human condition for just a moment. Let's look at this human condition because some of you remain unconvinced. Here's this human condition right here. First of all, we were dead in trespasses and sin. Now, exegetically speaking, trespasses and sin, pretty much the same thing said for effect. Paul says, you're dead in trespasses and sin. That's like saying you're lost in your ignorance and not knowing. I'm I'm emphasizing this for effect. You are dead in trespasses and sin. That's our condition. 
dead. Now, second thing we got to understand is we're born this way. We're born this way. As I told you before, you, you, you didn't do anything other than being born to get in this situation where you are by nature a sinner. You're born in this condition. And you know, I've often wondered why as believers we get so haughty, so high-minded that we can't talk to people about the gospel as if we came into this world saved. As some some have been saved so long, we think that's our original condition was. I'm telling you right, we think, oh, I've been a Christian 30 years. Well, honey, you've been alive 50. Your original condition was not being a Christian. It was not being saved. We were born in sin. The psalmist says, I was born in sin, shaped in iniquity in sin. Did my mother conceive me? I was all about sin. You don't have to teach a child to have a black heart. That heart of sin comes with being born. And so we were born this way. Now watch this. The next thing, after being born this way, we walked in this condition. We moved around, dead, didn't even know it, walking around, having fun, doing things, going to the club, hanging out, all these things, thinking we're living life, seeking after money, taking everything material that we can get, two or three, five, big screen TVs, uh, all kinds of things, DVD players, uh, internet, computers, all these material things that we were pursuing. And at all the time, those things we thought that would bring life don't bring life. Amen. You can pray to your flat screen all you want. I don't care how big it is. It could be bigger than these. And just to show you how, how technology, how easy it is to get us. I walked in the, in the, in the Best Buy and they have like a 120 inch TV. And I was mesmerized. I'd like to tell you that I rebuked it in the name of Jesus. But I went over there and said, now I'm just wondering, for the sake of argument here, how much would something like this cost me? And all my, all in my mind going, my wife is saying, more than you have. So we walk around in this condition. Now watch this. Not only are we, are we walking around, look at this thing. It says that we, we followed a course set by Satan, the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. It was Satan who set this course. And that course is one of destruction. But yet... We think it's the yellow brick road to Oz, don't we? Here we go, skipping along to destruction. (laughs) Hi-ho, (laughs) hi-ho. That's what we think. And it's a course that's set by Satan. And, And not only that, we become prisoners of our own flesh. We're prisoners. 
this flesh only wants to do what the flesh wants to do. Look at somebody and tell them yours too. You sit there like you're not a, this doesn't apply to you. You know, someone's got that look on our face right now. You tell them, pastor. (laughs) They need to deal with their flesh. (laughs) And some of the people that do that get so bent out of shape by the littlest things. Get up in the morning. Who squeezed the toothpaste from the middle? I don't understand why you can properly use toothpaste. That flesh takes over. The husband stands there. Must I teach you how to use toothpaste? You're a grown person. (laughs) Maybe that's just my house. I don't know. I just... Did I say that out loud? I mean, <laughs> inside words should stay in, Ray. <laughs> and so we become prisoners. And look at this last thing. By nature, the children of wrath. By nature, the children of wrath. It is a natural condition. The children of wrath. So we need it. To be rescued from this horrible condition of walking around dead. Now, why do we preach this to you who are believers? Because you need proper motivation to understand which side of the bread your butter is on. You need to understand as a believer that what Jesus Christ has brought you from. You need to remember every now and then just how messed up, how jacked up, how jumbled your life really was before you met Christ. Need to remember that I too was crazy. And still have some residue of my craziness. Every now and then, the craziness jumps out. (laughs) So we need it to be rescued. Now, let's look real quickly at the basis of God's rescue. Look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because, look at that, but God, but God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. God took some action through Jesus Christ. God did something to get us out of this mess. Look at the contrast that Paul sets up. All this death, all you walking dead people. He starts out and says, but God. The contrast is here. But God, but God. No, you were walking dead, but God. Somebody's going to get this today. You were lost in your sin, but God. You didn't know your way out, but God. You didn't have a clue as to what to happen, but God. You didn't know what you were going to do, but God. You were at your wit's end, but I wish I had just one witness. But God. But God, but God, 
and all of my mess, but God. And all of my craziness, but God. I was lost, sinking in sin, but God. Oh, y'all going to make me preach up in here. But God. God, 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 but God. The contrast. But God. Look at this. God is rich in mercy. He never runs out. He's rich in mercy. On my worst day. When I am just messed up to the core, it feels his mercy, his unmerited favor, his kindness, his loving kindness overwhelms my soul. God is rich. He's rich in mercy, not as a matter of. Of what he does. But a matter of who he is. He's not just a God. That gives mercy. He's a God that is by his being. Merciful. He's full of mercy. His whole being. Has mercy. But God. Who is rich in mercy. Look at this. Look at something else that he did. Look, at He says because. Of his great love. Oh hallelujah. Why did he do this? To his glory. Because of his great love. In your psychological condition. Of being a walking dead person. God loved you. Just as you were. He didn't ask you to clean up. I wish I had somebody here. He didn't ask you to get yourself together before you come to the house of the Lord. Some of us know folks like that, don't we? I'll be at church soon as I get myself together. You cannot get yourself together. I'll be at church. You cannot help yourself. The psalmist says, I will look to the hills. Where does my help come from? All of my help comes from the Lord. Who made the heavens and the earth. All of my help. All of my. Look at somebody say all my help. All my help. I can't help myself. All my help. Comes from the Lord. Who made the heavens and the earth. Look at this. Then he says. In spite of ourselves. He did this. And then. And then God made us alive. You were dead. You didn't know it. And when you gave your life to Jesus, he made you alive. Now I'm going to mess you up right now. Because if he made you alive, why are you walking around looking dead? Oh, see, just a few amens there. There's a, He made you alive, not so you can go and mirror death. 
You want to do all the old things you used to do when you were a zombie, when you were walking dead? God says, that's in the past. Leave it there. I have made you alive. And if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. And old things are passed away. And behold, all things become There's some, there's some new stuff you got to get here. He made us alive. And look what he says. He says, grace, God's unmerited favor. Caris in the Greek, grace, the same word from charity. Grace saved us. Grace, grace, just say it, grace. Isn't that a beautiful word, grace? There's an acronym for grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's redemption at Christ's expense. Grace. Grace has saved us. God has redeemed us by grace. I couldn't earn it. I couldn't buy it. I couldn't get it on layaway. I didn't get it off eBay. I couldn't order it from Amazon. I couldn't do any of those things. It is by grace. He has given me redemption. He saved us. Now I'm done when I tell you this. Look, look at the results of this rescue. Look at the results. See, every good rescue ought to generate some results. If you were lost at sea and somebody rescued you, there ought to at least be a thank you in your spirit. You ought to at least have some results of being rescued. And that's exactly where we were, walking dead. There ought to be some results of being rescued from being a walking dead. Let's look. Oh, come on here, somebody. Let's look at this thing. Paul says it like this. Here's the results. And he raised us up in verse 6 with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable, oh I'm going to shout right here, the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Look at these benefits. Look at these benefits for us. We are alive with Christ. Our status has been changed. In death, they hooked us up to the monitor as a walking dead. And all it was flatline. Lakita from the top to, from east to west. Flatline. Here comes Jesus. And all of a sudden now, what was dead is now alive. And we see. He has made what was dead alive. We are alive. Look at somebody and say, I'm alive. I'm alive. Next time you start complaining about your life, think about what it took to make you alive. His arms stretch wide, nails in his hands, nails in his feet. You are alive, pierced in his side. Because of the blood, I have been made alive. How dare I complain? How dare I complain? I'm alive. And if I'm alive, I'm raised. I'm raised up with Christ. Not only has my status changed, but my location has changed. I'm out of death and into life. Watch this now. My location is different. 
So if you see me walking different, it's because I'm not in the same place that I used to be. If you see me singing different, if you see me celebrating different, if you see me praising different, it's because I'm not in the same place that I used to be in. My location has been changed. Oh, hallelujah. And if I'm raised up, I'm seated. I'm seated with Christ. My destination has been changed. I used to be seated in hell. I know you don't want to admit that today. But I used to be seated with the enemy. I was on the wrong bench. I wish I had somebody here. I was on the wrong team. But the Holy Spirit gave me a new place to sit. And that's in the heavenlies with Jesus Christ. And I don't have to wait till I get to heaven to claim that right now. I am seated with Christ. That's why you ought to live like it. That's why you ought to do what's right. Not because of some rules or regulations, but because he took you from where you were and put you in a new place. And that new place requires a new attitude. Now watch this. This is the part I love. So that in the coming ages, that he might show. Look at that word show. To show means to put on display. If you walk into your someone's house and they want to show you the family, they've got pictures on display. That he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Who do you think the immeasurable riches of his grace really are? It's the recipients of that grace. That he might show us off. Oh, somebody ain't getting that today. God didn't save you so you could sit and be quiet. He saved you so he could show you off to the world and say, look what I did. I took the worst sinner. I took the worst sinner and the worst heathen and I turned them around. I put their feet on solid ground. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. That he might show, that he might show. Oh, come on here, somebody. That he might show, he might show. If you want to be shown off today, just stand on your feet for a minute. And let the world know that God saved me. Show off, Lord. Show off, Lord. Show off, Lord. Put me on display for your glory. Let somebody know that I was a sinner lost in sin. But you saved my life. And guess what? I'm not going back. I'm not going back. I don't know about you. Look at somebody and say, I won't go back. I'm not. I won't go back. I'm not going back. I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, and I'm ready right now to walk forward with Christ. 
I'm not going back. <laughs>